Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, first basketball game of the, well, uh, you know, I said they had the exhibition, but it's going to be the first time that we're going to get to see them, uh, you know, tonight against Louisiana Tech. How pumped are you? Oh, very, very. Uh, this is going to be a fun season. What I would uh, temper expectations is just win-loss record. I, I, I think this Alabama team may, may prove to be better than last year's team, which won the SEC with like an unbelievable like 16-2 and two record and then won the SEC tournament and then made it the Sweet 16. I think this team might even be better. I think that's very possible, but it will not show up in the one-loss record because I think the league is much tougher – and this year we play actual road games. Last year we'd play, yeah, we'd play in someone else's arena, but there wouldn't hardly be any fans there at all. Um, and, and it wasn't ever a true road feel to it. Uh, and, and sometimes we play teams and, and they'd be down a couple of guys with COVID or whatever. But I, I suspect that we're not going to go 16 and two in the SEC. We might go more like 12 and six or even 10 and eight. But that doesn't mean that the team isn't as, as good as it was last year or even better. So I just think people need to take that, you know, you know take that into account. But it's going to be a really fun team. It's going to be a really good team. Uh, more great players coming next year. Uh, I, and I can't wait to see the new guys like J.D. Davison and Charles Bediaco. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I was going to say is just seeing some of those young guys finally getting a chance to see, you know, how they're going to impact Alabama. And, and even if, you know, they aren't, you know, world beaters or superstars right out of the gate, which is very possible that both could be, you know, um, but it, even if they're not, then I still think that there's plenty of, of time for both players to develop into everything that Alabama fans are expecting them to be. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the First of all, the style of play that NATO's likes to run that is automatically going to make the games way more exciting. But now that you've got all this talent on top of it, I mean, I can't remember a time going into a season, uh, at least since I've been keeping up with it. Now, granted, there was stuff way back in the day, um, sure. but uh, you know that that there's been this much preseason hype and excitement around Alabama basketball, and so they're going to be honoring Fluff uh, before the game. I think about 20 minutes before tip off, Nate Oates has already asked that the student section already be you know in place and rocking and. You know, if you if people could get there 45 minutes early, 30 minutes early at the very least, go ahead and get in place and, and kind of, you know, this is going to be a great tribute from everything that I've heard. And so we would love to to see as many people there as possible. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's a, a great uh, a great thing that they're doing for Fluff and his family who are uh, who are coming. That They'll be there tonight and it's going to be real emotional uh, before the game. And uh, 
and then the game will be fun. So uh, what a great night. The women also play at five o'clock. You know, they, they, they play at five. Uh, and, and maybe and since it's a doubleheader, uh, the women will have a bigger crowd there than uh, normal, which would be nice. Absolutely. But uh, today we're doing mailbag because we got questions. We always got questions. And, and that's what I love about it. You know, throughout the week, um, people are always, you know, sprinkling it in. If they hear something or they see something, um, they will, you know, go ahead and shoot it over and we're able to throw it in and save it for later. And sometimes we do miss some of these questions. And if we do, I apologize. I did come across at least one from last week, actually two. Um, and so, you know, depending on time, which, you know, no, speaking of which I have not started to keep up with time. I need to do that because we never like to keep these things too long, but if, if we got to, if we start getting into this a little bit and it seems like it's going a little bit long, we'll just divide it up and do another one tomorrow. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the Alabama basketball game. And I got to be honest on this particular, you know, show, we're not going to spend, you know, tons of time talking about the basketball team. We'll spend five, you know, six, seven minutes when something big happens. I don't know. I don't feel like it would be, you know, me hopping. I, Jimmy probably knows a lot more about basketball than I do. Um, I, I wouldn't be any, you, you know, use, you know, I'm learning more about it. I love watching it but hopping on here and understanding what's going on to a degree that I could talk about it. You know, Hunter Johnson did a great job with that, with the, the podcast that I was on before the Bama beat podcast, him and Cecil hurt both did. I mean, the basketball coverage that they provided were, was fantastic, but that's, that wasn't my forte. I didn't really participate in that much. And, you know, but we're, we are going to talk about and hit the highlighted points. And if someone has a question, if, if I can't get it answered, I'll find somebody who can, and I'll bring somebody on. And there might be some some points where we bring somebody who knows a little bit more about basketball onto the show and have some fun with it. But for now, we're we're sticking strictly to football, and we've got tons of of football questions. So, Jimmy, we'll just go ahead and dive right in. Uh, the first question: Chop for Pop at Dat Haynes on Twitter asked, "Other than Neil Evan Neil, do you expect any underclassmen to leave early after this season?" Oh wow. That's a, that's a big question. Uh, the answer is definitely, definitely yes. Um, now, one thing to keep in mind, uh, this is a completely different year than any other year before, thanks to, thanks to COVID, thanks to that free eligibility year. The only two people on the team that cannot return next year are Chris Owens and Brian Robinson. Every, they're super seniors, so they can't come back. This is it for them. Every other player on the roster could be considered an underclassman. They, they could all come back, every one of them. Even LeBron Ray, <laughs> believe it or not, could come back next season. Uh, so that makes this complicated. I think also complicating things is NIL. And by that, I mean several players over the years at Alabama that have come out early. It just come out early because they simply couldn't go any longer without getting significant cash for themselves and their family because of some money problem that the family was experiencing back home. NIL has sort of cured that. So we might see less underclassmen come out than normal nationally. Uh, that could include Alabama. So you have to factor all that in. Um, but in terms of who I expect to come out today, uh, I would tell you Jamison Williams is likely to come out because I think he'll be a projected first-round pick, frankly. Uh, I, I expect Mechie to leave just simply because he's been there four full years now. Uh, again, he could come back. Uh, all these players could come back. Everybody other than Chris and Brian uh, could can come back. But I expect Jamison to go. I expect 
Mechie to go. I expect Evan Neal to go. Jaleel Billingsley, I've said all along with GoPro, is getting to a point this late in the season where there's just no production that, hey, Jaleel, if you're if you're pissed about, you know, you don't want to be at Alabama anymore, <laughs> he might want to consider the portal as opposed to early entry in the draft. I, I mean, I'm just not sure he's shown the NFL enough. But I, I would have said – I've said all along I didn't expect Billingsley to be on the team next year, whether that's NFL or, or transfer portal. Uh, I'm guessing today that Latu comes back, uh, but it won't shock me if he leaves because, again, that's another four-year player. Uh, so he could go. I think he would be drafted, frankly. Now, not, not a day one or probably not even a day two pick, but I think Latu would be drafted. Um on the defensive line, uh, I, I suspect LeBron Ray will move on. I think Christopher Allen will move on. Um, Christian Harris probably will go pro. Uh, real curious as to what his draft stock might be, but I think Christian Harris might go pro. Uh, Jordan Battle, I think, could be rated high enough to go pro. I expect Josh Job to leave from the corner position. Uh, but those are the names that come to mind for me in terms of who I expect not to be back next year. Uh, I agree with a lot of that analysis. Now, granted, none of those guys are shoe ins. You know, I'd probably say the closest thing outside of Evan Neal would be Jamison Williams. Um, yeah. You know, but Christopher Allen would probably be another one who could technically come back. But, you know, when you yeah. look at, uh, you know, Will Anderson Jr., he has to come back. You look at Drew Sanders, you look at Dallas Turner. Uh, Christopher Allen would certainly be in that rotation and in that mix, but that's three guys. And then you got Jeremiah Alexander coming in as a true freshman next year. You got Keanu Coat. You got other guys. Um, you know what happens with with King Wakuda. Uh, you know we'll, we'll kind of have to see. But um, you know I think Mechie is a, is a possibility for sure. Uh, I don't from an athletic standpoint. I think he's a very reliable receiver. Can kind of be. I think on the NFL level, he's going to be a very good number two. I don't really see a true number one. Um, and so right now, I probably wouldn't be put him as a first round pick. Uh, defensively, I think you kind of highlighted a lot of the guys. I think Jalen Armour Davis right now would probably be more likely to leave than Josh Job. Um, I think he's put more, you know, in a, a more NFL skill set on tape right now than Josh Job. They've both been solid. You know, I would say that, you know, from a college perspective, both have been fairly even, but I think that, you know, some of the traits that Jalen Armour Davis puts on tape is a little bit more appealing to NFL teams than Josh Job, at least right now. But I'm not entirely sure that both leave. But at the same time, you know, some of this stuff, uh, I'm not saying that that Nick Saban pushes people out the door, but sometimes he, he lets people know, hey, it you know, happens. We, we got a guy by the name of Kool-Aid McKinstry that we plan on having in the starting lineup next year. And, you know, so you can choose to do what you want to do, but uh, we can't guarantee your spot. You know, that kind of situation, I don't know what the conversation looks like, um, but, you know, I could see easily one of those two corners leaving. I'm not sure about Henry Toto or Christian Harris. I think that both could help improve their draft stock. I think when you look at, you know, we all understand, you know, with Dylan Moses, that he was still dealing with stuff and that severely affected his draft stock. Um, but even if he would have been 100% healthy based off of the way that he played last year, he probably would have been served better coming back. Now, like I said, he had the, the, the medical stuff and that is what threw a wrench into everything and made him drop as far as it did, I don't know how high he would have went had he been 100% healthy. But, um, you know, with Mac Wilson choosing to leave early, fall into the fifth round, off-ball linebackers have been better served at Alabama, you know, coming back for their senior years. You know, Reuben Foster, Rashawn Evans, uh, Reggie Ragland, 
Um, you know, I'm trying to, there's been a lot who have, and it's benefited them. Um, so maybe, you know, I think that at least one of them comes back, maybe both, but I do think that there are some guys like a Deontay Lawson behind them who the coaching staff would love to start to, you know, work into the mix a little bit. Um, Jordan Battle, not entirely sure. Um, you know, he's a very steady player, uh, a good player. I don't know if he has an, an elite skill set that's going to make him very appealing uh, to NFL teams. I could see him being a guy that just doesn't wow anybody, ends up getting drafted in the you know late second, early third round eventually, uh, maybe even the fourth round, even though I think he would go a little bit higher than that. And then ends up being a steady starter in the NFL for several years, um, really you know providing a lot of value for where he gets drafted. But I don't know you know where he's at. So, what about Will Riker? Do you think he would leave early? Uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I, I think I think Will Riker will come back next season, and he could even potentially return because of the COVID year in twenty twenty three. But I, I think he could come back next year, and it would be his fourth year next year. And, and I think that would be it for him. I think he would try the NFL after that. So I, I expect Riker back. Now, would he, you know, uh, not many kickers are drafted. Most of them just sign free agent deals. Um, I, you know, I, I think Riker might be draftable. But no, I, I expect Riker to be back. Uh, that, that's my expectation. I haven't been told any differently than that. Um, I don't think he has a lot of financial pressures either. Right, so, yeah. so, so I, my, my guess is Riker comes back and stays a full four years at Alabama, but will not return in 2023, even though we could, that's gotcha. my guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as well. I think he comes back to, it's just, it's one that you got to mention because he, he didn't miss a kick at all Draft. last year. How about this? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask my own questions on, on mailbag day. I'd rather answer everybody else's, but, I mean, in terms of who's going to be a first-round pick, I'd tell you today, uh, I mean, Evan Neal certainly is. I think Jamison Williams is likely to be a first-round pick based on two things. Uh, his 40-time his will be outstanding, and now he's got a good resume of production to go along with it. He actually leads the SEC in receiving yards now. Uh, I think between that production and the combine numbers, Jamison is probably a late-type first-round pick. Uh, but other than that, the other first round picks are, are, are maybes or coulds. Certainly no one I'd want to bet on. And, and in recent years, it's been unusual for Alabama to only have two first round picks, but yeah. that's the way I see it. And, and, and it does explain to some extent, the struggle uh, out there is we're not inundated with, with first round guys. I mean, there, there's just a couple, I do think there will be a number of day two guys. I, I think right. day two will be, the crimson in this draft coming up. Yeah. I think number of second, third round guys, Mechie, Christian Harris, Job, maybe Jalen Armour Davis, uh, guys like, oh, uh, Phil Mathis is going to be a second, third round pick for sure. Yeah, uh, Brown, B-Rob could find himself maybe in round three uh, as well. So uh, to, to me, uh, depending on what his 40 time is. But uh, yeah, I think day two could be really busy for Alabama, but not not so much day one. Right. Yeah. Spent a ton of time on that question. We'll try to get to the to these next ones a lot faster. Mike Stein on Twitter asked, what is the best rebuttal to Alabama fans who just flat out say that this team is, this is not a good team or that we suck. I don't believe Alabama is elite this year, but I do think it is a very good team that has been very frustrating to watch. 
when one position group or side of the ball steps up, it seems another plays their worst. If we can pull it, put it all together and maximize our potential, we have the talent to beat any top 10 team. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Roll Todd. Now I'll go ahead and jump on this one real quick uh, because it's very simple because I've heard this a lot. Um, I think it's all relative. You know, I mean, when you compare it to last year, um, yeah, this, this Alabama team is not nearly as good as it was last year. Um, but a lot of the college football teams around college football are not as good as they were last year or the year before. Um, I think that there's one team that you got to really, really worry about if you're Alabama and that's Georgia, you know, that doesn't mean that any of these other teams can't beat you. It just means that all of those teams are beatable. Even if you don't play your absolute best, a lot of those teams are beatable because they're doing the same. They have the same sort of issues that Alabama has with a lack of consistency playing down to their opponent, uh, and their talent level. But the one team you got to worry about is Georgia, and that's the one obstacle standing in the way. And what's unfortunate is because they're in the SEC, you got to get through them before you even make it to the college football playoff. I think that one of the two best teams in the country, uh, now granted, if Alabama beats Georgia, I think both get in. But if Georgia beats Alabama, I think that they're doing everybody else a huge favor because you're taking the second best team out of the running uh, for the college football playoff. And then from that point, I think Georgia's going to run through everybody. I think if, if Georgia beat Alabama and then they had to play them again, which that wouldn't happen, but I think that it would be very tough for Georgia to beat Alabama twice. But with the way that it might work out, you know, who knows what will happen. Um, but, yeah, the, I, it's all relative. That's what I would tell people. Yeah, their, their team this year is maybe not as good as it's been in the past but it's still one of the best teams in the country. There's no doubt about it. And if you don't agree, you tell me who needs to go in front of them. Oregon, they got the same issues. Ohio State, same issues. They almost got beaten by Nebraska. They really struggle with Nebraska. Uh, Michigan State, they just got beat by Purdue, which, you know, by the way, you predicted last week. want to throw that out there. Um, you know, Cincinnati, are, we, are you serious? I mean, they're not saying that they can't beat them, but it's just you start running through these teams and you try to tell me who you think the second best team in the country is. Now it's Georgia in a large gap and Alabama's included in that gap way down, you know, below Georgia, but they're still, in my opinion, if they're not the second best team to the third best team, and I will not, I refuse to go any lower than that. Anybody that wants to be super negative about Alabama uh, at this point is just choosing to compare Alabama to irrelevant teams, fictional teams. Uh, this team doesn't suck. They wouldn't be ranked second in the playoff poll that will come out uh, this evening. Uh, it, it, they, they, won't, they won't be, you know, second and third in the coaches poll, the AP poll. Uh, Alabama is the second best team in 2021. You, you, it, it's, it's ridiculous to say they're bad or they suck. Uh, now, where they're not as good as, as the 2020 team might not even be as good as 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, all the way back to 07. Maybe not, but it doesn't matter. That's just entirely irrelevant. Uh, the Alabama 2020 team was better than, in my opinion, than the 2015 Alabama national championship team. So does that team have to give up its 2015 national championship because they weren't as good as the 2020 team? That's just dumb. I mean, each season is, you play the teams on your schedule and then you play the teams in front of you. Should you advance to the postseason? And that's all you should ever be compared to. And I assure you, there's not teams out there eager to match up with Alabama if they don't have to. Uh, and, and I, I bet you that here, here's a perfect example, a Georgia fan right now. And Georgia has been great. They're number one. They're number one by a mile. I, I, I agree with everyone. They're number one by a mile. 
you know what the typical Georgia fan is hoping right now? That Alabama loses to Arkansas or Auburn and doesn't make their way to Atlanta. Georgia doesn't want to play Alabama, not their fans, not their team. Now, they may say they do. They may say they do publicly to, to put on a brave face, but they don't want to. They know Alabama can beat them. They would have no fear of playing Auburn again. They, they wouldn't really have any fear of Texas A&M, though they should. <laughs> the, the team they would fear is like Alabama. Here we go again. Uh, and, and that's why Alabama doesn't suck. The best team in the country doesn't really want to play them. They would rather dodge Alabama if possible. So no, the team's not as good as it was last year. That's okay. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to everything. Uh, the only thing that's relevant is how they match up with New Mexico State and then how they match up with Arkansas and then how they match up with Auburn in 2021. All, all, that's all that matters. And I assure you, Arkansas and Auburn won't watch film of Alabama and go, you know what? They suck. No, they'll watch film of Alabama and go, uh-oh, we got a game plan this. We got a game plan that. We got to avoid this guy. We got to do something about Will Anderson. That, that's what they're going to be saying. They're not going to use the word suck. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next question. Nick Rossetti on Twitter asked, what does the future look like at the QB position for Alabama? Assuming Bryce is three and out, we have not seen much from Tyson and Milrow. Does the staff look at taking two quarterbacks in the 2022 class? Daily listener of the Bama on three show. Keep up the great work. We appreciate it. First of all, Nick, um, Jimmy, what do you got here? Yeah, that's a great question. I think because we haven't seen much of Paul and Jalen Milrow fans typically, and since we haven't seen them, are going to assume the worst and like, oh, those guys must not be very good. They don't play. Well, keep this in mind. We didn't see much of Bryce last year, <laughs> and, and he's pretty good. <laughs> we didn't see much of Bryce because Mac was the starter. We were playing a lot of tough opponents, uh, all SEC schedule. I think Bryce threw 22 balls last year, which is more balls than uh, Tyson and Milrow. Uh, have thrown uh, this season, but I'm telling you this, this is just my personal opinion. I, I remain very high on Milrow. I, I could get into details, but to sum it in, in, in four seconds or less, Milrow knocked me out in the spring. When, when I saw him in the spring, I was like, Milrow is going to be awesome. Then I saw him practice in the fall and I scaled it back. I, I don't know what happened, but he, he wasn't as impressive in the fall to me as he was in the spring. I, and, and again, I don't know if maybe it's maybe mental overload as he learned more of the offense. He started doing a lot of thinking and less playing like he did in the spring when he didn't know anything. Um, I, I, I think this is my opinion. I think Paul Tyson could have a career that tracks Jake Coker's uh Coker was not a good winning quarterback in his life until year five of his college career. And then in year five, he went out and won a national championship. He was so good, but he wasn't even ready to play in year four. He'd, he'd even tell you that uh, Blake Sims beat him out rightfully. So um, I think Paul could, could be that guy, you know, really good when he develops complete great game manager skills. And that might happen by year five. I am very high on Jalen Milrow. I, I still remain that way. He is an amazing dual threat quarterback. I think his floor, I mean, in terms of what I expect from him, anybody that's seen KJ Jefferson play this year for Arkansas, that to me is Milrow's floor. It, if Jalen Milrow becomes a starting quarterback at Alabama, I think you will see at least KJ Jefferson and, and, and mo most likely better than that because I think Milrow – has more upside as a passer and he's faster 
than Jefferson uh, with his feet up. So I'm high on Jalen Milrow uh, and excited that we get to keep him in the incubator longer. He doesn't have to be the quarterback next year. Jay, we can we can be patient with his development. Ty Simpson has all the makings of a kid who might be good quickly because he's a coach's son and he's going to be mentally sharp. Think like Mac Jones, kind of sharp, and 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 he's such a good athlete. But Ty Simpson does not play against good high school competition. I think he'll need that red shirt year, that that year to sit out, that year to be the scout team quarterback, just playing against Alabama's first line defense. Uh, I, I just see a big learning curve with him in terms of learning to play faster because he plays against such a weak high school competition. But uh, I, I could not be more excited about Ty's future. I, I, what I for, foresee is when Bryce leaves a heck of a battle between Milrow and Ty Simpson. Uh, and, and I think whoever emerges from that will be a really good quarterback. And uh, Paul, uh, in year five, uh, more likely w- would play, I think, if, if there's an injury situation. But I think by year five, Paul Tyson could be a winning SEC quarterback. He can really throw it from A to B uh, shockingly well. I think the ideal situation, which is strange to say, but you know what Georgia has going on with their quarterback position. And what I mean by that is you have the star power with JT Daniels. And if he was fully healthy and had been fully healthy, he would have been Georgia's starter. But they still would have had a guy by the name of Stetson Bennett as their backup. Is he great? Um, is he elite? No, but he can help win you football games. And he can avoid losing you football games. And he's in it for the long haul. He, he has been there for a while and in today's college football with guys trying to transfer and make money off the of NIL and all this stuff, if you can get yourself a Stetson Bennett who you can rely on, because you also got Brock Vandegrift and, and all those got Carson Beck and those players behind them. So you've, you've got talent that you're looking to develop behind the scenes. You've got the star power at the front with JT Daniels. But that the guy who makes everything run is in case something happens, Stetson Bennett can come in and be a quality number two. And I don't think you have to worry about if he ends up having the kind of year like he did last year where he was a decent backup. He's not going to, you know, is he going to be as effective as some of these other SEC quarterbacks? No. But, you know, what he did last year and what he did this year, I don't think Georgia has to worry about him saying, oh, I want to go play somewhere else. You know, he actually already did that. He transferred out, then he transferred back in. Um, And so, you know, that is the ideal situation. And so you're looking for that. Um, And if you're going to take two quarterbacks in the class, I think that's pretty smart. I don't think you need to go after two star quarterbacks. I think you need to find the guy who can be your Stetson Bennett, the guy who loves Alabama, can be a pretty good player, maybe somebody that you need to develop for a couple of seasons <clears throat> behind the scenes, and you know the, who's going to be loyal and not, you know, he's not really interested. You know, if, if you got a star guy, you know, a five star player who comes in and by year three and four he's not playing, he's not sticking around. He doesn't want to. Uh, he wants to go find somewhere that he can play because he was told he was Mister Everything. And he believes that he's still that guy and that he can be that guy in the right situation. And that can leave your quarterback depth a little bit depleted. So you need to try to go out and find that, that one player who can, is going to be around who you can guarantee. And for Alabama, that might be Paul Tyson, you know, that, that might be him for, you know, because of his connections to Alabama, he might've kind of accepted uh, that more than likely he'll spend a majority, if not all of his career as a backup. And he's a, you know, a, a pretty good backup, and I don't know what Alabama could do with him. Uh, behind this offensive line, I wouldn't be overly confident, but uh, I think that would speak more to the offensive line than it would Paul Tyson. But, you know, maybe the, maybe he's that guy, but they need to go ahead and start identifying that next guy as well. 
And I think that, you know, with Stetson Bennett's dual threat ability, you know, he didn't have the passing ability that some of these other quarterbacks have, but bringing his legs to the table and what that can help, you know, um, provide your offense in a pinch, uh, I think that puts you in a pretty good situation. So that's how I would look at it moving forward. All right, next question on the list. Bama Road to 19 or uh, at Riley Bubba on Twitter asked, OL changes question mark. This is the worst OL I have seen in 20 years of watching the Tide. And I'll go ahead and combine this with the next question from Will Martin. Now, granted, it wasn't really a question. It was just a thread that uh, college football nerds, which is a, a great, they do a great job. I think they have a YouTube channel that puts out great content, but they made a thread on Twitter talking about Alabama's offense. And, you know, um, Will Martin asked us to discuss it. And, and it was about Bryce Young and what the thread was breaking down was that Alabama missed opportunities, you know, at least against LSU in some situations was a lot more about Bryce's unwillingness to trust his receivers rather than the, you know, any sort of issues with the offensive line. Um, and we've talked a lot about how the issues with Alabama's offense has come down to Bill O'Brien and not calling plays to get the ball out of Bryce Young's hands faster and the offensive line breaking down and not providing adequate protection. And I think that both of those issues are still, a, a, you know, a problem. Um, but from what I've gathered, you know, especially looking through the thread, they had some photo examples of guys being open and Bryce just not really trusting or, or going to that guy. For me, um, I think it kind of is a combination of things. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I think early on in the season, you had guys that weren't, that were kind of struggling to get open consistently, create separation. Um, I think Bryce is still maybe not trusting that as much. And, but he's got a great, you know, relationship starting to develop with his receivers, but against LSU, I do not think he played his best. And I do think that when, you know, when I went back and watched, there was a lot more of that that fell on Bryce's shoulders than people realized the offensive line still had some terrible breakdowns. I mean, they're just absolutely, you know, there's no excuse for it. And I still think that, that Bill O'Brien is, is not running this offense to the best of his abilities and the best that this offense can run but I do think a little bit more of it falls on Bryce. So, uh, Jimmy, what do you think? Yeah, uh, the first question about OL changes, I do think there will be one. Just just my opinion, uh, my guess, uh, based on watching the film, uh, you know, watching the playback, this is just what I think. And, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, uh, this isn't what I would do. It's what I think is going to happen is I think Damian George will be back at right tackle this week, and he'll be the starting right tackle. And, and the center will be Dalcourt, uh, assuming that his ankle is a full go. And, and I think uh, Chris Owens will uh, then become the uh, sixth man, you know, the, the, the guy that's the immediate sub at tackle guard or center uh, should something happen. But I, I think Damian George won the right tackle job. Uh, and, and, and it's not really a guess out there. You know, Nick Saban has gone out of his way twice when he didn't have to, to say that he thought Damian George played well. Uh, I don't think that's something he's, he said publicly about Chris this season. Uh, I, I think Damian George is – so that, that will be your, your OL change. I, I think Damian – and after I watched the – you know, live, I didn't think 74 played that great live. Uh, 
but as I watched the tape uh, and, and really watched him, uh, I think he actually did play play better than I thought live and uh, and, and did a, a fairly less than perfect, but a, a good job at, at right tackle. Um, in terms of that thread, you know, well, first thing, those guys do a good job and, and I really enjoy uh, takes and I really enjoy smart analysis and breakdowns and using the tape. I enjoy that a lot. So I enjoy what they do. I'll just say that still photos can be misleading uh, when you just watch still photo of a play. Uh, it can be misleading. Um, and I think those guys make several good points about Bryce being hesitant, but let's not pile on Bryce over that. Let's prefer, I prefer to see, to, to say the word cautious Bryce for a playmaker has a healthy dose of cautiousness to his game, which serves his team. Well, uh, I know fans love to let's chunk it downfield. Let's throw it up and let's see JMO go get it. You know, that's, that's fun. It's also a great way to lose a football game. Bryce is uh, smart with the ball. He's, he's, he's thrown a ton of passes and only three interceptions. And I think he wants to keep it that way. I think Bryce would love to see that number remain at three and, and there's some cautiousness to him. Then throw in the fact that the protection was, was just really bad at time Saturday and Guys, you know, uh, I work at, at QB Country, and we talk about this all the time. Uh, you know, when the protection's not good, young quarterbacks worry about that a lot. They don't want to get sacked. They don't want to get sacked and fumble, and that happened to Bryce Saturday as well. I think uh, young quarterbacks can get very conscious of pressure, and someone like Bryce, I think when there's a lot of pressure, he's going to be more cautious. While that might sound like not a good trait, it won the football game for Alabama Saturday. That won the football game. If, if Bryce had tried to do too much, that game could have gone south real, real easily. Instead, uh, the offense didn't turn it over a lot, uh, and the defense was able to win the game for us. So I looked at that thread, and, and, and while it was all interesting and all true, I just chalk it up to poor protection, Bryce being – overly cautious which helped us win the game and uh and again if bill o'brien's really good at his job and i think he might be this was one heck uh, of a of a teaching tape for bryce I, I bet bryce learns a lot about himself and a lot about our offense and our expectations for him from watching this tape not the one when we beat the crap out of mississippi state 49 to 9 this tape is where bryce can really learn first of all I think that there's a lot to be said about trust. And I think a, a young quarterback needs to have trust. And early in the season, Alabama's receivers were not creating the separation that they needed. I mean, look at where he was going. He was going to the tight ends a lot. Why? Because he didn't trust his receivers. And part of that was due to, uh, you know, Jamison Williams was new in the building. Part of that was due to John Mechie recovering from an injury. But as he started to trust them more, he's, he's, been able to kind of, uh, you know, transition from being tight end oriented or tight end focused to wide receiver focused. And I think that's helped Bryce. I think that's helped both the receivers, but then there's also trust with the offensive line that plays into that as well. You know, when, when it's like you said, you as a young quarterback, there are so many things that you have to be identifying and understanding, um, about what's going on around you. And when you have in the back of your mind, who's taking up some of that mental capacity, is my protection going to break down? Am I going to have to extend this play? 
Um, you know, even though Bryce does a fantastic job of that, I don't think the game necessarily has slowed down to the maximum degree for him. I think that will come later. And I think that if you get him better protection, I think the rest of it would start to take care of itself. Now, one of the issues that Bryce Young has compared to some of the other Alabama quarterbacks, the recent ones, I did feel like the Tua Tungvaloa threw guys open a lot more than Bryce Young does. I feel like Mac Jones throws guy, threw guys open at Alabama a lot more than Bryce Young does. And I think that that's a youth thing. I think that Bryce right now, he has to see it before he'll go to it um, and not really anticipate. He's not anticipating as much as probably he's going to it at later points in his career. That's going to come with time. But, and that does hold Alabama's offense back a little bit. But I think that he does extremely well, not, not only, you know, being a dual threat quarterback and extending plays, finding open players, you know, running the football a little bit more than he was doing before. But I think that as the game slows down for him, all those issues are going to be, you know, taking care of themselves. And so it's no reason to freak out. And, you know, as far as the offensive line, Damian George, I think, is your right tackle as well. If he ends up being in the starting lineup this weekend, uh, even if Dalcourt is, you know, maybe they use the excuse of Dalcourt, you know, is not fully healthy. They want to hold him out. You know, I could see this being a transition period of Chris Owen starts at center, Damian George starts at right tackle, and then against Arkansas, it's it's Darian Dalcourt being inserted back uh, at center, and Chris Owens is not being inserted back at right tackle. Um, and you know, when you look when you watch Damian George. I'm not saying that I see Orlando Brown Jr., but I see, you know, I remember the comparisons being made to Evan Neal to Orlando Brown Jr. a couple of years ago when Evan Neal first got to Alabama. Really big body guys, tree trunks for arms, and when Brown was going through the combine process, he went from being a projected first-round pick to fall into the third round because his athleticism, I mean, he ran close to like, I think it was like a 5 six forty which is just awful, but he's become, not only did he get, you know, he got drafted by the Ravens, he became almost a an immediate starter at right tackle, played a little left tackle, decided that's where he wanted to, to spend his career, got traded to the Chiefs so he could play left tackle because the Ravens already have one in Ronnie Stanley, and he's done some good things for the Kansas City Chiefs since becoming their left tackle. He lacks athleticism, but with his length and his, you know, the, the arm length and the fact that he's six seven, six eight, there are very, you know, he, he does not struggle with speed off the edge. He has enough athleticism to compensate and he handles speed extremely well. Evan Neal has that same kind of length, but he's also extremely athletic for his size, and that's what takes him from being you know, a good prospect to an elite prospect. Damian George reminds me a lot more of Orlando Brown Jr. He does not have Evan Neal's uh, you know, athleticism, but he has his length, and I think that having that out there on the edge compared to having a 6'4", you know, Chris Owens, who doesn't have extremely long arms, you know, compared to having him out there who has been struggling with speed, I think that that would eliminate that issue, just having that big-bodied, long guy out there in Damian George who does have some athleticism but just not Evan Neal caliber. I think that would help Alabama's offense uh, tremendously. Um, so I think that that is something that's going to end up happening as well. So anything else on that, Jimmy? No, 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 no. I think we, we covered that well, and, and I, I think Damian George's power uh, is, is something that we can really – I mean, Chris Owens is – to me, more of a technician. Uh, Damian George is just very powerful. And uh, I think the more he plays, the better he's going to get. And I'm excited about, I'm excited about the change uh, of Damian George, at right tackle. And I, I believe it's going to stick. And uh, I believe he'll be tough to beat out next year. I, I think you're looking at 
at Alabama starting right tackle next season as well. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, and it's like I said, I mean, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to like about Damian George and there's a reason he was a three-star prospect according to some services, others, you know, he was a, a lowly rated four-star developmental guy. They saw a guy who was a big body player who could end up being a pretty good offensive tackle if he got the right development, but he didn't have the athleticism that a lot of people were looking for. And that's another reason why he was rated, you know, a lot lower, but, you know, certainly can, you know, has the traits to compensate for that. All right, next question. It's going to be the final one because the rest of them we're just going to push tomorrow. So if we didn't get to your question today, we're certainly going to do it tomorrow. But this is something that got asked last week, and I thought it was funny. Uh, I wanted to discuss it. I don't know a whole lot about WWE, to be you know honest with you. I watched wrestling as a kid, was really into it, got out of it, never got back in it. But um, WD Marketing Group, or at Hunter WDMG on Twitter, asked, with WWE Survivor Series coming up soon, which current Bama players would you pick to be your five-man tag team for the event? Now, from what I understand, the Survivor Series is kind of like a last man standing kind of thing. It's like some kind of event. Um, Jimmy, do you know more about it than I do? I'm going to know less about it than you or all of your wives. I know less about it. <laughs> but uh, as I understand the question, basically – what we're really asked is, uh, who are the five toughest guys on the team? Uh, if, yeah, if I, and you know, I, I was thinking more in terms of wrestlers, like who I could picture on the team oh. that would be a wrestler, um, yeah. and, and just be a, you know, for lack of a better word, just a badass out there. Um, and and there yeah. were plenty of answers. You know, we had Will Anderson, Evan Neal. Will. I saw. I remember seeing Cameron Latou. There was one player that stood out in my mind that I didn't see mentioned anywhere, and it blew me away. Um, if we're talking about guys that look like wrestlers, Kendrick Blackshire is the first guy I'm thinking of. That guy's built like a truck and I could just see him being out there. Superstar stat. I wouldn't mess with him. You know, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, you know, he probably the most ripped up that I've seen, but he's not the biggest from a size perspective. And he doesn't have Cameron Latou's length being six, five and stuff, but man, I would not want to mess with, uh, Kendrick Blackshire. He would certainly be in my top five. I love that answer. Uh, Yes, he, he probably is, is is totally crazy ripped up. Uh, Evan Neal's a good answer because he's ginormous but is also incredibly athletic. He'd probably be a quality wrestler in that field. I mean, because he's so big, also so athletic. Andre the Giant, you know, um, yeah. it was one of the most legendary wrestlers of all time. Just just pure size, right. man. Just to, So Evan Neal would definitely make mine too. That's a good answer. Damian George is probably the biggest guy on the team in terms of weight. Uh, I think, uh, in terms of who's the heaviest guy on the team. Uh, and he's enormous. He's got the long hair. Uh, he would be a character, I think, because he's just so big and, and now he's new to the lineup and he's going to be pretty popular. Uh, you know, if I was going to surprise people, I, t I tell you along the lines of your Blackshire, I'll tell you another kid on the team that, that no one would think of in, in this role, but who's also ripped to shreds, charismatic, strong as hell, and athletic, and that's Jalen Milrow. Uh, now, I know people wouldn't think of a quarterback as a, as a wrestler. Somebody's going to pick up a 360-pound human over their head and throw him out of the ring, but I think Milrow could actually do that. He is – he is as strong or stronger than Jalen Hurts. And I think we all know that Hurts' strength at Alabama is legendary. 
Uh, Milrow is like as strong as Hurts. He's also much faster. Uh, Jalen Milrow is a true 4-4 guy. Uh, I even heard, I can't verify this, I can't swear to it, but it's something I heard from a good source. I heard when this spring, now this is before Jamison Williams was there. Jamison's there now. Jamison wasn't there in the spring. But in the spring, they ran the 40, the whole team, and Milrow was the fastest guy on the whole team. And that's amazing, <laughs> you know. And uh, so with his athleticism, his size, his charismatic personality, uh, I think Milrow uh, would be a, a great wrestler, uh, particularly if there is some sort of lighter weight class. I'll tell you what, look at you going lighter weight class. This ain't, this ain't <laughs> high school wrestling. <laughs> uh, you did reveal exactly how much you know about wrestling, though, just by that comment, which is, you know, right. fair. And I do still think that it would be fun to watch. And I definitely would would consider him part of my list as well. The last one for me that I'll mention, and then we'll get out of here because we've already run a little bit long. Uh, you know, you talk about size, you talk about strength, and I'm not talking about this guy being super ripped up, but not all the wrestlers are. Some of them got a little flab to them, and that's totally okay. You got to be big, but the number one thing, if you're going to have a wrestler, and it's something that you brought up with Jalen Milrow, charisma. You got to have a guy who just acts the part, man, and who can just get into it. And who better than 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 that for Alabama than Phil Mathis? You I know? knew it was, you were going to go Phil Mathis when you described it that way. That is a great choice. He's he's a fun dude and a leader, and uh, he has a lot of fun out there. He does. I mean, just the personality would fit. I think he would take the part super serious would get into it, would have a blast with it, would make everything else fun for everybody else. And plus, when you get him in the ring, he knows how to he, – he's, he's an interior defensive lineman. He knows how to wrestle with some grown men. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he gets it. And he's been doing a pretty darn good job of handling it for Alabama's defense. I mean, five and a half sacks this season, second on the team, has been a, a, a very consistent interior threat to complement what Will Anderson Jr. is providing them outside. And now that you're getting Dallas Turner on the opposite side and you're getting Drew Sanders back – uh, this Alabama pass rush, I think, is going to be very good down the stretch, and it's going to help make that defense look a lot better. Um, so, yeah, Fedarian Mathis would certainly be in my top five, and there are some other players um, I'm sure that if I thought about it a little bit more that I would consider, but that's going to do it for today's episode, uh, mailbag episode of the Bama on three show. We'll have more uh, questions tomorrow, and we'll get to those. It's just, you know, we always end up taking forever to answer some of these and have fun with it, bouncing it back and forth, so... Yeah, I'm totally cool with it. Um, you know, it's New Mexico State. We're not going to have a lot of content, you know, focused on them. We are going to talk a little bit later on in the week about players that we really want to see something out of this weekend. Maybe some guys who are going to be getting some extra reps, some extra opportunities. Maybe Damian George will be one of those players. Um, you know, we'll just we'll figure out creative ways to, you know, uh, get a couple of guys to talk about in that way. Um, but tomorrow we will be back with uh, not only a college football playoff reaction, uh, but also answering a couple of more of these questions. So, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, man. Oh, loved it. Can't wait to answer more more questions tomorrow, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys uh, Alabama basketball tonight, 8 p.m. Central on SEC Network, if you can't be there. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening in, and we will talk to you guys soon. This has been the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. <laughs>